For episode 439 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes the not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear, I'm your writer, host, producer Derek M. Cook. Welcome to Monster Kid Radio, and big thanks to the surf band West Samoa Surfer League. We are currently listening to their song Surf Noir. It's from their new EP, Surf Noir, which you can find over at surfcookierecords.bandcamp.com. Or just follow the link in the show notes when you're done listening to this episode of the podcast. Now, this time around, we're doing something a little different, something a little out of the ordinary for us here. I know that lately we've been doing some films and and talking about topics that are more relevant to films that came out in the 70s. And we're doing that again this time around. But you know what we haven't done is a top three list about anything in the 1970s. And that's what we're doing this week here on the show. The top three vampire movies of the 1970s. Now, this is not just me giving you my list of my personal top three. I'm going to be joined by a guest this week. Well, I'm joined by a guest every week. But this week, we've got filmmaker Seb Godin coming on the show, and he's going to share with us what he thinks his top three vampire films are. Now, during the conversation, we ended up sidetracking a little bit because, well, that's what we do here on Monster Kid Radio. We played a game of the Classic Five, and we even dove into kind of what I was doing when I thought I was going to be a filmmaker when I grew up. Not entirely sure how that conversation happened, but it just kind of happened. Probably because Seb is a filmmaker himself. He's actually running a Kickstarter campaign right now, crowdfunding campaign for his new movie, Blood Rites of the Vampire. There are a few days left for him to hit his goal. I'm hoping that by the time you're done listening to him talk about his movie and what he wants to do with it, you'd be ready to hop on over to Kickstarter and throw him a couple of Canadian dollars to help him, well, make this movie that I really, really want to see. Now, it wouldn't be an episode of Monster Kid Radio without a few special segments. And of course, we've got Professor Frenzy's Bedtime Story this time around. Another really good one. Kind of a fun one, a little different than what he normally does. At least I feel it's got a different vibe, but it's still a really fun read. Well, I guess reading a listen. I enjoyed it. That's what I'm saying. Also, Kenny's here with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland, and he sticks to the 1970s vampire theme in his segment as well. You know, we're going to do all of that. Got a few trailers that I picked from the 1970s, and a few, well, you guys know how it goes. It goes like this. From caves and sewers come the slime people. To kill, kill, kill. There is no escape from the slime people. The slime people. Nothing can stop the horror of the slime people. For a new adventure in terror, live through the wild bloodbath of the slime people. With lust they come. With vengeance and murder, see the nightmare of the slime people. If you rebuild it, they will come. They burned it down. If you rebuild it, they will come. You didn't hear them? Beg your pardon? The voices? Pete? 
If you rebuild it, they will go. They blew it up. If you rebuild it, they They demolished it. If you rebuild it, they will go. But horror has a permanent address. Welcome to my home. The House of Frankenstein lives. You see, uh, we began a project a few years ago, but unfortunately it was... It was interrupted, and we're most anxious to take it up again. In September and October, the Fire and Water Podcast Network presents a Supermates tradition, covering four classic horror films and four related comic book adventures. I must find more victims before my work is done. You need look no further, vampires. We'll take the bat jet to the Hall of Justice and transform the other super friends. <laughs> Featuring an all-star cast. James Spader. Are you crazy? Jack Nicholson. No, just marking my territory. Anthony Hopkins. She lives beyond the grace of God, a wanderer in the outer darkness. Lon Chaney Jr. One becomes accustomed to the darkness here. Michelle Pfeiffer. You're afraid that when it gets dark, you'll attack me. Vincent Price. Let's, uh... See what the rest of this mausoleum looks like. Gary Oldman. Enters freely of your own will and leave some of the happiness you bring. Winona Ryder. I almost feel pity for anything so hunted as this count. Peter Cushing. I am a doctor of medicine, law, and physics. To the best of my knowledge, doctorates are not awarded for witchcraft. But if ever they are, no doubt I shall qualify for one. And Keanu Reeves. Doctor! This Halloween, visit our field of screams at the scenic House of Frankenstein where terror is only a listen away. (laughs) The two most terrific names in Scream Evil, together in one shock show. Horror of Frankenstein and Scars of Dracula. Your ticket entitles you to be frightened out of your wits at no extra charge. Horror of Frankenstein and Scars of Dracula. In color, rated R. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy, show. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy, Welcome to Professor Frenzy's Bedtime Stories, created especially for Monster Kid Radio. My name is Jerry Green. In this segment, I'm going to tell you a story from EC Horror Comics. Today's story is Nightmare. It is from Tales from the Crypt number 18, the June-July issue from 1950. It was written by Bill Gaines and Al Feldstein, and the art was by Johnny Craig. So sit back and relax while I tell this fitful tale. Mr. Severin, a building engineer, stood graveside during the funeral of one of his employees. The casket was about to be lowered into the ground when the deceased's wife cried out that the casket was empty. You can't have a funeral without a body. First the onlooker scoffed, but then checked and the box indeed was empty. They had to find someone to bury, so they grabbed Severin. He screamed and protested as they nailed the lid shut and buried him alive. Severin woke up in bed. It was only a dream. Too scared by the nightmare to sleep, he sat in a chair reading, and when that didn't work, he decided to go out and take a walk. Strolling down a rainy, muddy road, Severin thought he heard someone call him from across a field. Severin! Severin! He left the road to see who it was, and the mud became thicker and thicker. 
Soon he was sinking into the muck. He flailed, trying to escape the ooze, but it was no use. He was being buried alive. He woke up in his chair. Again, it was only a dream. This happened to Severin several times over the past few days. What was happening to him? He was so concerned, he went to work late so he could talk to a psychiatrist. He laid down on the couch and told the psychiatrist of another dream. He was walking in a graveyard when he heard his name being called. Severin, Severin. He followed the sound into a crypt where a decomposing corpse grabbed him from the casket. The creature dragged him into the box where he suffocated amongst the gore. The psychiatrist told Severin that he was just overworked and he should take a vacation. That made sense to him, so he went to the building site to get some time off. It was lunchtime when he arrived and everyone was off eating. While he waited for his boss, he decided to check on some of the framing that would eventually be filled with concrete. He noticed that he was very tired from missing all of that sleep. High up on a beam, two workers were eating their lunch when they saw Severin in the pit. One noticed the concrete was about to be poured into the foundation and called out to him, Severin, Severin. Below, Severin heard his name being called, and then the concrete began to fill the hole he was in. This must be another dream, he thought, as the muck came up higher and higher. I'm probably still on the psychiatrist's couch. I won't be fooled this time, he thought, as he started to laugh at the situation. The concrete finally was up to his head, and still he laughed. The men watching above were astonished to see Severin laughing while he was buried alive. The End I hope you enjoyed that restless story. Severin had no chance from the start. This was a story about cruel fate. Somehow he got a premonition of his death that led him to discount it when it actually happened. Oh boy, this is a freaky tale from EC. I liked it a lot. Johnny Craig's art is, as always, terrific. The panel where Severin is being covered in concrete and laughing is insane. Also, his astonishment at being dragged into the casket at the mausoleum is effective. A shadow covers much of his face and his mouth is open in shock and horror. It's good stuff. All in all, this story worked very well. If you're interested in a copy of Tales from the Crypt Volume 1, the book can be purchased on Amazon and you can find a link to buy it on the MKR website. I hope you enjoyed the story. My name is Jerry Green and you can find me on my podcast, The Professor Frenzy Show, where we talk about new indie comics and bat books for beginners, where we talk about historical Batman and Bat Family comics. You can also catch me on Twitter at Professor Frenzy and search for Professor Frenzy on YouTube where you can find the Professor Frenzy show and some exciting projects we have coming up. Stay tuned and thanks for listening. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy, show. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy. Blood of the ever-living, the ever-evil. Blood from the mummy's tomb. From the dead, dead past come powers too terrifying, too strange to be believed. You know who I am? Yes. And you're afraid, aren't you? Who is she, wearing the mummy's face? Is she one of us? Enjoying our kind of life, or is she the ever-living, the ever-evil? Blood from the Mummy's Tomb, rated PG.
Dr. Tongue's I Had That Shot, 7129 Northeast Fremont Street. Vintage goofiness from years gone by. Sci-fi and fantasy memorabilia. We specialize in things your mother threw away. And some she didn't. Dr. Tongue's Toys. Blood is red. Voodoo is blue. Sugar is sweet. Revenge is sweeter. Meet Sugar Hill. Not a place, but a brand new face. The foxiest, sexiest, deadliest chicken town. The mob took Sugar's man away, and now she's gonna make them pay. I want them dead! With a voodoo priestess called Mama Matrice, and Baron Samney too, and an army of undead behind her. There's nothing that Sugar can't do. The mob has never seen anything like Sugar Hill and her zombie hitmen. Sugar Hill from American International, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Monster Kid Radioheads, this is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. This week, Derek and his guests are looking at the top three vampire films from the 70s. So today we are going to see the 70s vampire films covered by famous monsters during the 70s. Issue 61 heralded the beginning of the 70s for FM and there were 88 issues between January 1970 and December of 1979. Remember that the 60s monster world was inserted to cover FM issues 70 through 79. The first 70s vampire film to be covered was in issue 82 from February of 1971, The House of Dark Shadows, the film version of the gothic soap opera. Next in issue 86 of September of 1971 was The House That Dripped Blood, an amicus anthology which featured Ingrid Pitt as a vampire. A 70s vampire was featured on the cover of the March 1972 issue 89, Al Adamson's not-so-classic Dracula vs. Frankenstein. Issue 90 featured an article on vampire lovers, and issue 91 had the modern vampire Count Yorga on its pages. In January of 1973, the hard-to-see Guess What Happened to Count Dracula was featured. Issue 96 had a twofer, which looks at Hammer's Twins of Evil and Scars of Dracula. April 1973's issue 97 had an article on Dracula AD 1972. FM took a break from vampires till December of 1973's issue 103, when Blackula was featured. FM 104 previewed the amicus anthology Vault of Horror, which had vampires in one story. FM 106 had tickets to Hammer's Vampire Circus in 1974. FM 106 also featured Jack Palance's TV Dracula. It would be another 16 issues before the next 70s vampire graced the pages of FM when 122 from January of 1976 took on Ingrid Pitt and vampire lovers received more coverage. Or should I say less coverage? Another 25 issues would pass before we see the next 70s vampire movie, a look back at 1970s Taste the Blood of Dracula. A quartet of late 70s vampire films begins in issue 153 from May of 1979. It's Werner Herzog's Nosferatu. The comic Love at First Bite is featured in issue 154, and 155 has the Louis Jordan TV Dracula in its pages. 
Frank Langella's Dracula bites us from the pages of 157 and was the last 70s vampire film to be featured in FM during the 70s. 159 was the last issue to be released before 1980. Will Derek and his guest list feature these films covered? Or did they discover others? We will see in our main segment. That's all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. This is Kenny for MKR. We'll be back with more next week. Adios. Trip into a nightmare of evil with Guess What Happened to Count Dracula? He's back from the grave to rule the satanic occult written world of today's mind blown youth. Say it with someone you trust. You'll plunge into a nightmare of evil, thrills, chills, horror, terror, shock, panic, and violence, climaxing in an orgy of blood and death. Tonight is a special night of the Black Calendar. No one passing the dungeon this evening could begin to suspect the events it will hold. Guess what happened to Count Dracula will trip you into a blood-smeared torture chamber and you'll never get out. Don't see it alone. See it with someone you trust. (laughs) Guess what happened to Count Dracula will blow your mind. Never before such blood-chilling terror, more terrifying than ever before. This is the picture that nightmares are made of. Guess what happened to Count Dracula is a supreme example of a top-notch motion picture thriller filmed in magnificent blood-dripping color. It will make you scream and shriek and gasp. (laughs) Guess what happened to Count Dracula? Don't miss it. A Merrick International Picture. Rated GP. If somebody asked you to describe a movie to them, what would you say? Would you say that Guardians of the Galaxy is Star Wars meets the A-Team, or that Jurassic Park is Westworld meets the Lost World? The X meets Y pitch is a long-standing Hollywood tradition, one that's been used to sell plenty of movies that otherwise probably wouldn't have been made. But instead of starting with a script and comparing it to two movie titles for an X meets Y pitch, what if we started with two movie titles and improvised the pitch? Well, on my podcast, X Meets Y, that's exactly what we do. I'm Jonathan Inbody, and each episode, I and a guest will randomly select two movie titles, and then we have half an hour to come up with a new original movie idea that could be described as Movie X Meets Movie Y. We've done episodes like Ocean's Eleven Meets 2001 A Space Odyssey, Godzilla Meets Old Yeller, and Robocop Meets Dead Poet Society. Basically, it's a half-hour sprint through a brainstorming session, and it is a lot of fun. If any of that sounds even the slightest bit fun to you, then you should give X Meets Y a listen. It's available wherever you find your podcasts or at xmeetsy.libsyn.com. Hopefully, you'll hear my voice again very soon, but for now, enjoy the rest of your regularly scheduled podcast, you lucky so-and-so. The creators of Tales from the Crypt and the author of Psycho have teamed up to present one of the most frightening film fantasies you will ever endure. Welcome to the House That Dripped 
Blood. Turn the knob. Open the door. Step past the bones and don't venture beyond the light. Terror waits for you in every room. The house that dripped blood. No one has lived here in a long, long time, but many have tried and died. The previous owners are all still around, and they can't wait to meet you. The house that dripped blood. You can come in anytime, but you can't leave until they let you. <laughs> A Midnight Encore from Filmways rated PG. I am Dracula, and I bid you welcome to the podcast devoted to the classic, and sometimes not so classic, genre cinema of yesteryear. And I offer you this warning. Sometimes Derek and his guests get excited, and they may spoil a movie or two. You know how excited monster kids can get sometimes. If Monster Kid Radio spoils a movie for you, do not come whining to me. I cannot stand whines. Listeners, I got this bright idea. Let's have somebody on the show. Let's talk about 1970s vampire movies. Let's do a top three list. That'll be great. And then I realized (laughs) there are so many Hammer films alone in the 1970s that featured vampires. How am I going to do this? And then I remembered, oh yeah, there's this kind of sort of franchise and oh there's those two as well and um it it was very difficult and fortunately i didn't struggle by myself i invited this week's guest to participate seb godain how you doing man i'm doing very well thank you yeah i mean outside of the frustration of figuring out that list man i don't know what i was thinking this is gonna be real easy it'll be fun no (laughs) oh well It'll be fun to talk about it, though. But before we get to all of that, there's a couple other things that I want to talk about. First of all, congratulations on the new DVD release. Thank you. I am very happy. When I gave it to Alpha, they said it's going to end up on a double feature. And when they told me it was going to be a Josh Kennedy movie with it, I knew it was in really good company. So I'm incredibly happy with Slimoids being released the way it has been. Right on. So Slimoids is available from Alpha Video Oldies.com. It's part of a double feature with Joshua Kennedy's The Fungus Among Us, which is a fun little film too. Uh, I'm so thrilled. Do you know or have any idea as to how it's doing right now? For the past week, it's been on their top 10 bestsellers. So I hope that's a good sign. Nice. Yeah. Did they come to you or did you go to them? I went to them initially and at first they weren't too interested with it and then uh brian cray i think he came to me and said it would make a really good double feature with josh's movie so they asked for it back well congratulations man that's great and i'm assuming you've got a copy of it now yourself you've got the dvd yeah i'm looking at it right now it's uh (laughs) it makes me very happy very cool josh kennedy of course being a you know, a great friend of the show and an incredible filmmaker in his own right. So that's great. I don't know what else to say other than congrats. I think I've said that like five or six times now. So, <laughs> Thank you so much. I hope that people find it uh, fun. It's a bit more of like an 80s throwback than mm-hmm. uh, 30s through the 60s. But at the same time, I feel like there's enough stuff in there for the listeners to enjoy. Sure, sure. And 
this is actually an interesting or an excellent follow-up to the last time we had you on here. Because the last time we had you on here, we were talking about slimeoids and, and the slime people. So, yeah, it's been a while since we've had John. It's nice to kind of continue the journey with you, brother. Thank you. It really means a lot. Uh, this is my Honestly, it is my favorite podcast. I listen to it almost religiously. I re-listen episodes constantly, and so being on is a massive honor for me. Oh, dude. Now listen. <laughs> now, now you're going to know. <laughs> now you're going to let the listeners know how uh, you can get on the show. You just basically have to tell me that I'm your favorite podcast, and then you no. Just <laughs> <laughs> now it's a little bit more than that, but I, I do appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, that, that does mean a lot to hear that from people that. I respect as artists and filmmakers and monster kids and that sort of thing. So thanks. Appreciate it. Now, since Slimoids, has there been another movie in between Slimoids and what you're working on now? Yeah. This past summer in August, I shot a dinosaur movie called Dino Gore, and that'll hopefully be out, if not at the end of October, then sometime in November. Okay. The best way I could describe it plot-wise is imagine... <laughs> imagine Evil Dead, except instead of demons, it's dinosaurs. Okay. Dinosaurs instead of ancient Kundarian demons? <laughs> it's funny because my friend Ken Maine, he has a movie he's working on and it had a fake trailer in it called Dino Gore. And he was talking to his friend and saying, you should talk to Seb and have him turn it into a movie. And when they told me the title, I was hooked instantly. I love dinosaurs so much. And I thought it would be a really fun opportunity to just have some people stuck in a cabin fighting these dino hand puppets. And I'll make it really... <laughs> goofy and fun (laughs) (laughs) all right i want to give listeners a chance to kind of catch up or or get reacquainted with you you've been making movies now for man at least a decade at this point it looks like right yeah i mean it's i'm 23 now and i started when i was 14 so almost a decade wow wow you know i've got you pulled up right now on the internet movie database and uh, let's see i've got you going back as far as 2011 it, it's, it's very serendipitous then that you have a movie out on DVD with Josh because he started so young as well with so many credits to your name. And how many titles right now in post-production or pre-production or, or still in the works? I mean, this is great. Oh, uh, yeah, I keep busy. You know, it's one of those things where every year I say, OK, I'm going to take a break. And then I have one idea and I decide, well, I could do this really cheap, but I could also do this right after it and it'll work great. And so I... <laughs> I just keep busy and I'm always talking with people too. And when I talk with other filmmakers, it makes me want to just make more stuff. Yeah, I know that feeling. (laughs) (laughs) As a creative, I totally understand that. It's a curse, but man, I wouldn't have it any other way, you know? Same. You know, it sounds like things are just working out great for you. And I'm so thrilled for you, man. I I love it when Monster Kids do good. I'm eager to see Dino Gore. Years ago, I was really into the Evil Dead thing. Sam Raimi was somebody that I worshipped at the altar of. Uh, So I'm eager to see your take on that, but with dinosaurs. I think that there's enough in it to kind of appeal to both sensibilities. Like, it's got the gore and the real zaniness to it. But at the same time, the dinosaur, the main dinosaur in it was very much inspired by, like, 50s movie monsters. Stuff like... uh, Stuff like The Land Unknown and whatnot. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, now I really want to see it. <laughs> Which is not a movie I can watch anymore, but I do love the T-Rex in it. Why can't you watch it anymore? Ever since I've become a lizard owner, I can't watch movies where lizards fight each other. Understood. Yeah. Understood. It is tough. Yeah, well, I'll just say that. That's a whole different conversation probably, but the history of Hollywood and otherwise, 
yeah, not always yeah. the nicest to animals. So, yeah. That's true. But onto something that, uh, you know, to kind of change the subject, bring us back up. I'm looking at your credit list again. You know I've got a thing for mummies. Yes, Ouija mummy. What is Ouija mummy? Ouija mummy. Oh, man, I love Ouija mummy. <laughs> Ouija mummy was something that my friend Dustin Hubbard in uh, Florida, he wrote it. I flew out there and we shot it over the course of a weekend. It's been picked up by Wild Eye Releasing. It premiered at Tampa Bay Screams this past August. It's about a uh, young couple that move into a house and they find these uh, ancient Egyptian artifacts that are left over by the previous owner who was an archaeologist. And they run a seance with their friends and it angers the spirit of an Egyptian princess who possesses the wife and causes her to go on a mummified killing spree. I have to see this movie. It's really fun. It was a great experiment in restraint for me because like it's a slow burn with a big crazy climax, which is very unlike my other stuff where I'd like to have the monster there from the get go. Sure. But I'll tell you, I love mummies as well. I really love mummies. I think that this one is different enough to stand on its own, but is also like familiar enough to fit perfectly in with a good mummy movie marathon. And it's coming out from Wild Eye releasing, you said? Yes, Wild Eye picked it up. Do you know when we might be able to get our hands on it? Uh, no clue on that one. I hope soon. You can keep me posted, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay, good, good. <laughs> no, it's really fun. Um, I think people will really adhere, uh, endear themselves to that one more than anything else I've done. <laughs> Fantastic. That's great. You know... We're going to talk about some vampire stuff here, and before I do that, a couple of things we're going to go over, but uh, I'm looking again, I'm looking at your credit list. Mm -hmm. The second thing listed for you for directing is something called Fang Bang. I'm assuming that's a vampire film? It was. Okay. It was what happens when a 15-year-old with a bunch of friends and some Halloween costumes and no script decides to make a short film. <laughs> It's not very good. I don't know if it exists anywhere anymore. It had a lot of copyrighted music in it, so I feel like there's no way I could release it. But yeah, that's all it was. It was just a, something I shot in a day with some friends. Okay. So, so vampires have been with you for a while. Yeah. As long as I've loved horror, I've loved vampires. You remember the first vampire film you saw? Uh, yes. Yes, I do, actually. It was Dracula, Prince of Darkness. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, my grandmother taped that one off TV for me when I was like eight years old. Wow, that's one of the better Hammer Dracula films. That's wow. I remember being scared to watch it because I was only familiar with black and white horror at the time. And when I saw this one was in color, it gave me this idea that it was a newer, more intense movie. Huh. It was an interesting experience for me. And that's what started it off for you at that point, just loving vampires ever since? Yeah, and it, that's the movie that gave me the idea of what I think a good vampire should be like. Like, I just love Christopher Lee's Dracula and how animalistic he is. There's not much of that suave nature to him. He's a total monster. Well, I mean, yeah. if you're going to start, if you're going to pick one to start with, that's a good one to start with. That's, that's fantastic. And uh, like I said, we'll talk more about vampire stuff, but you know, there's something we do here on the show. Every time yes. we have somebody on, we got to play around to the classic five. 
Yes, I'm so excited. <laughs> so for listeners who don't know, the Classic Five is a game that we play here on the show with everybody who comes on, whether they've played it before or not. Basically, it's a conversation starter. This or that style questions, which movie do you prefer? There are no wrong answers, and not that Seb and I are going to have a hard time coming up with something to talk about, but still, it's always fun to play. You ready to do this? I am ready. All right, here we go. Card number one from the second core deck, which I swear I keep saying it, but it will be coming out here soon. In your mind, what's the most underrated classic vampire film? And I picked that one Ooh. on purpose. I, I thought you might have. The most underrated classic vampire film. Can I be given like a time frame here to work in? Like what? Whatever you consider classic. It's up to you, man. I can say positive. Does that help? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. I'm going to say up until the end of the Hammer series. So the most underappreciated one, I think, because every time it gets brought up in conversation, people seem to really dislike it, is uh, Dracula AD 1972. Dracula is back. In the first now Dracula movie, Dracula AD 1972. And with this new motion picture, an unrivaled event, horror ritual. You will participate with a Transylvanian vampire himself, swearing you in as an honorary member of the Count Dracula Society. He comes back from the living dead to extend you his personal invitation. Join me in the horror ritual. You heard it with your own ears from his blood-red lips. Get your honorary membership card when you see the new Dracula movie, Dracula A.D. 1972, and participate in the horror ritual. Rated PG, parental guidance suggested. I have had very few conversations with people who genuinely like that movie. They often complain that taking Dracula into the then modern day was a bad idea. I think it works incredibly well. And I feel like Lee's interpretation of Dracula fits the 70s aesthetic really well. And I just think it's a really fun movie that takes the franchise in an interesting way, just as it was starting to feel really stale. Christopher Neem is amazing in that film. Just amazing. He is. So, yeah. The con His confrontation with um, Cushing is my second favorite part of the movie. Oh, it's great. What's your first favorite part? My first favorite part is at the end when Dracula is confronting Van Helsing and Dracula is actually quoting the novel. Because mm. I feel like that was the first time in a Hammer movie that Dracula actually spoke words from Stoker's book. <laughs> very well could have been, considering what Hammer used to do to the source material. So yeah, it very well could have been. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I'm sure Lee was very happy about, because, yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel like it might have even been his idea. Yeah, maybe. Very well could have been. I know he... Loved the source material and... Didn't like doing those movies. Yeah, <laughs> so it very well could have been his... <laughs> All right. All right, card number two. What's your favorite William Castle film? Mr. Sardonicus. Oh, I was just talking to somebody about that the other day. Dominique, in fact, was talking about that with me the other day. For years, I have searched for a unique way whereby a motion picture audience can actually decide the climax of a picture. I have found such a way. My latest picture... Mr. Sardonicus offers something no audience has ever had before. The power to determine the fate of a character on the screen. The power to punish. In ancient Rome, spectators could decree life or death to a gladiator by indicating thumbs up or thumbs down. During the French Revolution, the mobs could condemn a man by merely shouting to the guillotine. 
the early West, vigilantes took the law into their own hands. Today, for the first time, the awful power to punish will be yours. After you see the evil events that made Mr. Sardonicus what he was, you will decide what should be done to him. You will now see some scenes from the picture. The face of Mr. Sardonicus will not be shown because I realize that some people in this audience might be adversely affected by it. Those of you who come to see Mr. Sardonicus will understand why. Man, it's such a fun movie and Guy Rolfe is a very underappreciated actor who got very few lead roles in that period of his life. Yeah, I'm going to go with Mr. Sardonicus. You know, I have to admit, I haven't watched it since, man, it's been a long time. Uh, I think yeah. it out, didn't it come out on like a double feature Blu-ray at some point, like a budget Blu-ray release? Maybe. I, have, I haven't seen it since it was shown on TCM ages ago. Mm, I should go back and revisit it. The gimmick in that is uh, the punishment poll, isn't it? Yep. I wish there were two endings. I really do. Yeah, well, you know. (laughs) (laughs) All right, card number three. I'm going to pull this from the hammer deck. Which movie do you prefer? The Vampire Lovers, Lust for a Vampire, or Twins of Evil? Mm, I haven't seen Lust for a Vampire. Oh, you're not missing. I mean, okay. That's what I've heard. That's what I've heard. I'm going to go with Twins of Evil, though. The coffin opens and terror reaches out from beyond the grave as the twins of evil evoke the power of vampirism and witchcraft. Twins of evil, they use the satanic power of their bodies to turn men and women into their blood slaves. Twins of evil. Rated R, under 17, not admitted without parents. I really like Twins of Evil, and I think that that movie, the dynamic with Cushing and the others is so strong in that movie. Mm-hmm. And I really love Cushing's character arc in it. It's a great film. Uh, Cushing's turn as the villain, basically, is just fantastic. It's, it's my yeah, favorite three. You know. He's amazing in it. And uh, I seem to remember Dennis Price having a really fun role in it, too. Yeah, yeah. All right, card number four. <laughs> this one I didn't do on purpose, but it's another vampire question. This one's from Universal. <laughs> Dracula's Daughter or Son of Dracula? Which do I think is the better movie or which would I rather watch? What's your favorite? I'm going to go with Dracula's Daughter. Really? Yeah. The castle! Dracula! He's come back! Look at me. What do you see in my eyes? Death. Do you like jewels, Lily? These are very old and very beautiful. Please don't come any closer. I... Ah! Her pulse is weak, Dr. Goss. Growing weaker. All your skill can't help her now. She's under a spell that can be broken only by me. Or death. I am Dracula's daughter. It's weird because I do think Son of Dracula is the more fun, entertaining movie. But I think Dracula's daughter is an absolute masterpiece. I think it's probably Universal's best vampire movie of that era. Interesting. I mean, I I love the film, too, and I think it's terrible. That'd probably be my most underrated vampire film if somebody asked me that. 
Uh, just, I feel like it doesn't get enough attention. There's a lot of stuff happening beneath the surface. It's just fantastic. I almost chose that for the most underrated, but the difference between it and Dracula AD 1972 for me is that every time it does get brought up, the person more often than not likes it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. It is good. It, it's a movie that deserves praise. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Okay, let's pull a deep cut card here for our final question. Planet of the Vampires or Planet of the Apes? On Planet of the Apes. Discover Planet of the Apes. A civilization where humans run wild in the jungles, and the superior beings are apes. Tribunal has placed you in my custody for final disposition. Do you realize what that means? No. Emasculation to begin with. Then experimental surgery on the speech centers, on the brain. Then a kind of living death. No, I remember, uh, this is going to make a lot of people upset, I think. I remember watching Planet of the Vampires and just not liking it at all. Really? Yeah, I remember finding the first act really creepy. And then I thought to myself, wow, this is some great buildup. And then about an hour in, I realized the whole movie was going to be that buildup. Huh, okay. Like, it just felt like a lot of nothing to me. And this comes from somebody who likes Mario Bava a lot. So sure. that that really bugged me. But Planet of the Apes is a perfect movie. Oh, it's uh, everything about that film. I, I will sit down and watch that any any moment I get a chance, you know. It's, it's something I'll never turn off. Planet of the Vampires is something that I had not seen up until about two, three weeks ago that was being shown at the joy cinema as part of their weird Wednesday series. And I got to tell you, man, I was blown away. Oh, really? I really, really enjoyed it and did not expect the twist at the end. I, I didn't bring my recorder out. I didn't record anything for the show because I just wanted to go as an audience member who had never seen the film before, but it really impressed me. I was shocked that I had waited so long to watch it. Well, it has been a good six years since I've seen it. So maybe it is worth a reevaluation, but, Planet of the Apes, man. Yeah, I was going to say, no matter how I feel, I still think Planet of the Apes would be the right answer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, there are no wrong answers, but yeah, that's true. Oh, that's, that's true. That is the right answer. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's the classic five. How do you feel, man? I feel great. Awesome. Right on. Well, we said at the beginning of this, we're going to talk about vampire films. We're going to talk about 1970s vampire films. When I first brought up this idea to you, and like I said earlier, I thought, oh, hey, Hammer Films. Oh, boy, I'm going to have to pick three Hammer Films. Oh, wait a minute. And then I realized there's Blackula, there's Count Yorga, there's the Japanese, you know, the Bloodthirsty Trilogy. There's all the stuff that was happening in Europe that wasn't Hammer. There's all this stuff going on. And it was really tough for me to break this down. Man, I think I spent three or four days looking through movies, reading up on movies, trying to remind myself about certain ones just to figure out what my three favorites actually are. And again, like I was saying before we started recording, it was difficult just choosing three movies that aren't Dracula related. I tried to stay away from that, but how can you when you've got all these wonderful Hammer films? You brought up Dracula AD 1972. I mean, that's... Uh, one of my favorites. 
Yeah. And it's a Dracula film. I managed to get away with only one Dracula movie. Okay. On my list. Well, we do allow for some, you know, like I said, honorable mentions. So yeah. we're okay there. We're okay there. And I'm going to admit that I cheated a little bit, but we'll get to that. It's my show. I can do what I want. Um <laughs> And we'll do this as we do our typical top three lists. I'll go with my number three back and forth with you until we get to the end and let you have the number one slot at the very end. Uh, my number three, I already mentioned it, will be Count Yorga, which I did stay up last night until about 2 a.m. watching to make sure, yeah, this one needs to be on my list. Count Yorga Vampire is a horror haunted tale that will take you beyond the boundaries of shock, past the threshold of fear into a world of the almost human. Vampires have always fascinated me. They should. Their intelligence is far superior to humans. Is it true that vampires must be in their resting places before the sun rises? That if the rays of the sun hit them, they will disintegrate? <laughs> in Count Yorga Vampire, she creatures of unspeakable cravings become the mistresses of the death master, Count Yorga. No, this film is not of centuries past. It is a film of today. It could happen to you. Perhaps it is already happening to someone you know. Today's young people find it fascinating to dabble in the supernatural, and now they and their ladies pay the penalty in Count Yorga Vampire. See Count Yorga Vampire, rated GP. Parental guidance suggested. Here's a confession. I'd never seen it until last night. <laughs> Oh, my God. I know. Really? Uh, and the only reason I even considered it is because, again, I was talking with Dominique the other day, and she's the one that reminded me about Count Yorga and those films coming out in the 70s. Like, oh, man, I got to add that to my list. I need to check it out. And I am so glad that I did. I loved it so much. I put it immediately into my number three slot, bumping what I originally had planned. I love that film. It is so good. It's really good. To this day, I really get frustrated knowing Robert Corey didn't get the career he should have had. Yeah. Because he is so good in those two movies. I never saw The uh, the Death Master. I haven't seen that one either. Maybe I should because <laughs> maybe I'll put it on my revised list. No, Robert Corey is fantastic in that. The way he performs that vampire character, I picked up on some Christopher Lee-isms. I picked up on some Lugosi-isms. And... Somehow, he also managed to work in some Cushingisms into his performance, which blew my mind because you don't think of Cushing with vampires, but or as a vampire anyway. But it was there, that kind of perfect mix. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, he really is kind of the, to me at least, he is the archetypical movie vampire as Count Yorga. All the tropes are there, but they still feel really fresh in his hands. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Agreed. So, listeners, if you haven't seen Count Yorga, I highly recommend it. As a first-time viewer, I loved it. So good. All right. That was my number three. What's your number three, sir? I went with one that I hope that some viewers haven't heard of because I would love to turn some people onto this movie. Okay. As difficult as that might be. It's a film that, to my knowledge, has never gotten a proper release. Oh. In fact, it's not even available with subtitles. It's a, I think it's Yugoslavian, or it's Czech. It's a Czech film called Leptritsa from 1973, which was based on a novel. The only reason why I knew what it was even about while watching it was because it's a very good adaptation of a novel called After 90 Years, which is a vampire story that predates Dracula by, I think, a decade. Really? Okay. Yes. And I, I put it on here despite 
its obscurity and despite the fact that, again, you can't see it with subtitles, I put it on there because it is the scariest vampire movie I have ever seen. Wow. There are shots in that movie where when I think of them, my like they creep me out so badly. It's a movie that makes me turn on the lights. And man, just you'll watch that film and you get to the ending and you get a good look at what the vampires like. And it's just so upsetting. There's something so bestial and inhumane about it. It's a very surreal, nightmarish movie. Wow. So the reason I like doing these top three lists is because it might introduce people to films they've never heard of. And uh, you just did that for me. I've never heard of this movie. Laprika, uh, it's Yugoslavian uh, from 73. Mm-hmm. It's based on that novel, which was Serbian. I need to see this thing, it sounds like. You said it's never been released with subtitles, but it sounds like visually it's going to be arresting enough to hold my attention anyway. Yeah, it's interesting because it was, I believe it was made for television, mm-hmm. and it's got this very raw gorilla style vibe to it that makes it feel very real it's uh oh man it's an experience i can't recommend it enough and it's only like 63 minutes so it's not a long sit at all huh okay i am not familiar with this story at all i know dracula wasn't the original vampire tale but i had no idea there was something published that predates this 17 years before dracula being introduced to the mm-hmm. world wow Okay. Yeah, the, well, the book's well worth picking up too. Uh, the book is a great read. Added to the Amazon wish list right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, no, I mean this is great. I mean, this is ultimately, like I said, like I doing why well, I like doing these shows and it introduces people to stuff that never even heard of before, like this one, Electrica. Okay. Electrica, Electrica, whatever. I can't wait to check it out, man. I look forward to hearing your thoughts. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep you posted. In fact, when I watch it, maybe uh, we'll have you back on at some point and we'll do a little follow-up. Oh, that sounds awesome. Right on. All right, so I'm going to move on to my number two, and I kind of sort of mentioned this one as well. I might have spoiled it when I mentioned Count Yorga and uh, Blackula because I'm picking Scream, Blackula, Scream. Blackula is back. All new. All powerful. <laughs> Blackula, the Black Prince of Shadows, rises from his grave to stalk the earth again in the all-new motion picture chiller, Scream, Blackula, Scream. Blackula returns, quenching his thirst for blood in a death trap for his enemies. Blackula, more horrifying than Dracula, screaming for revenge against a voodoo cult of evil. See Scream, Blackula, Scream, all new, rated PG, starring William Marshall, Don Mitchell, and Pam Greer, the sensuous godmother of coffee. You were terrified at Blackula. Now the Prince of Shadows returns in Scream, Blackula, Scream. I like the first Blackula a lot, but I feel like Scream, Blackula, Scream is one of those sequels that surpasses the original. Maybe not as much as, say, like Bride of Frankenstein surpasses the original Frankenstein, but Scream, Black Hill Scream does a couple of things for me that I adore. I love William Marshall's performance, first of all. But I also like mixing vampires with other elements. Mm -hmm. And you've got the voodoo thing going on in this. So you've got voodoo versus vampires, which is something that I have long resonated with years ago. I don't think I've told a... I used to think I'd be a filmmaker when I grew up story in a while. So 
But years ago, I used to think I'd be a filmmaker when I grew up. And I was taking this video production course over and over and over again at the local community college when I was, let's see, it's been what, mid-90s probably. The reason I kept taking it is because I knew what the syllabus was ahead of time. Every two weeks we had to turn in a new project, whether it was a music video or a commercial or a informative video, which I don't know why they just didn't call it documentary, but whatever. But the final of the year of the course was to make a mini movie. And I took the course six times <laughs> just because I wanted to have access to the equipment, you know, the editing bay. And my final project, my final movie there before I went off to film school, I did an adaptation completely unauthorized. I mean, it was a student thing, so I didn't care about copyright at the time, but I did an adaptation of the role-playing game Chill, which is a group of humans fighting monsters, basically. And in my version of the story, I had this vampire group teaming up with the local voodoo doctor <laughs> to take out the humans, the, the organization involved with trying to eradicate monsters. And it does kind of devolve a little bit to where the vampires are like, yeah, we're not going to tolerate these voodoo folks anymore. So I had this vampire voodoo confrontation planned. It never really worked out the way I wanted it to on film but or on video. But I always really liked that mixing of voodoo and vampire going head to head. And Scream Blackula Scream scratched that itch for me. I actually came up with that story before I saw Scream Blackula Scream. But please tell me this exists somewhere. <laughs> this video? Yes. So... I've got VHS copies of a lot of my old student films and I haven't watched them in years. I don't even have a VCR hooked up. I have considered putting them on YouTube, but because yes. they were student projects, there's a lot of copyrighted music in there. Plus, you know, they feature people that I'm not in contact with anymore, actors and actresses and such that I haven't spoken with in years you know ex-girlfriends are in the in a couple of them and i don't know what the legality of putting something up without getting their permission would be that said i'm still tempted to do it anyway <laughs> well did they sign paperwork at the time no because it was all student project stuff and <laughs> that wasn't yeah. the point of the class the point of the class was to teach us editing and things like that it wasn't about getting you know doing it from the business side of things. So no, there, there really was none of that, unfortunately. And at least one of the people that I worked with did go on to have a career acting. So he's got a couple of credits under his name and now he's a teacher for acting at a college somewhere in Colorado, maybe Denver. Huh? And I am kind of sort of in touch with him a little bit, but again, I didn't stay in contact with almost any of these people. This has been over 20 years, man. You know? Yeah. But like I said, I'm still considering putting some of this stuff up. So we'll see. I'll keep you posted. Oh, I'd love to see it. I'll keep yeah, you I'd love to see it. As for Scream, Blackula, Scream, I agree. Um, both of the Blackula movies are awesome, but there's something about Scream, Blackula, Scream, even beyond the voodoo aspect that I do find a lot more interesting. I think the character, the supporting cast is a lot more interesting in it, too. Oh, well, you got Pam Greer. Yeah, that's true. You got Pam Greer. I mean, Pam Greer. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, William Marshall is always awesome. He brings so much humanity to that role that you would not expect. Ah, man, it's just great. Yeah, I agree. It's solid film, great score. Uh, just, just really, really good. The confrontation at the end in the house when they're all, oh man, it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. All right. So that was my number two. What's your number two, sir? 
My number two is my only Dracula film on the list. Uh-oh, okay. It is Werner Herzog's Nosferatu. Ah, okay. So the remake with uh, Klaus Kinski, right? Yep. Uh, Klaus Kinski, Bruno Ganz, and Isabella Johnny. At midnight, all sorts of evil spirits are set loose. People disappear without a trace. Last night, after a tiresome journey, I finally reached my destination, the castle of Count Dracula. Nosferatu, the vampire, coming from 20th Century Fox. There's something about that movie that's very therapeutic to me, where I watch it and uh, uh, quite a few films are like this, but this one especially. I watch it and nothing else around me exists. It sucks me in with its soundscape and its cinematography. And it puts me in the shoes of its characters. And I feel like it's probably the closest thing to real, like real life a vampire film has ever come to feeling. Oh, wow. Which is fun. Funny considering how surreal it is at times. Huh. Okay. You know, I haven't seen that in a very long time. Also, for Kinski, it's a very restrained, sad performance. And I think it's his best in a lot of ways because it does not feel like you're watching uh, Klaus Kinski at all. You feel like you're watching this, this very sedate, sad, desperate vampire. He does disappear in the role from what I remember. It's not just the makeup. I mean, he is he is the vampire in that. It's not Klaus. A lot of times when you see Klaus Kinski, you kind of know what you're going to get, right? He's one of those actors where he really had a, he had a shtick, I guess you could say. Sure. But that movie shows that there was, there was real talent there. Yeah, and that's nothing against Klaus Kinski. I mean, I love watching Klaus Kinski in a lot of the spaghetti westerns that he did. You know, I, I think he's great. It's fun to watch. But, yeah, Nosferatu, he really does, like I said, disappears in the role. You're not watching him anymore. You're watching... He does play Dracula in that, even though it's based kind of sort of on the original film that they changed all the names in. But yeah, he's, he's basically the Nosferatu in that. Yeah, it's frustrating. That's the one thing I would complain about with the film. I wish they kept the Orlock name. Mm-hmm. And Bruno Gans, who just passed away this past year, he's probably my favorite Jonathan Harker. I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but the ending with him is ah, just so good. Mm-hmm. It's just so, so good. I, re- I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember scenes of it. Like, I just saw it the other day. It speaks to the power of the film, I think. Yeah, and it's uh, also, like, not a knock against the original, because the original is also a perfect film in my eyes. They both work together perfectly. Oh, the original is one of my absolute favorites. I think, if anything, it's a testament to how important that film is, that Herzog could remake it, and both versions still work great independently of each other right still bring something to the table you're right yeah yeah if this was a vampire top three vampire movies of all time nosferatu the original would be on that list for me hands down there's so much more going on in that film that people give it credit for so good so good well before we get to our number ones why don't i do a couple of honorable mentions that we can do a proper build-up did you have any honorable mentions you'd like to bring up i have a handful yeah okay so i'm gonna have a few things I, i like i said i did bump something out of my number three slot when I saw Count Yorga and the original film in that slot was going to be the movie Velvet Vampire, which 
I don't know, man. I don't know what it is about that movie, but it holds a spell over me every time I watch it. I know it's got some issues. I know it's got some problematic stuff in it, but there's just something about this film that captivates me. I can't look away. I, I adore that film. It's from 1971, uh, directed by Stephanie Rothman. Uh, it was a Roger Corman produced, I believe, or at least it was released by New World Pictures. Uh, Celeste Yarnell, who we just lost not too long ago, uh, is one of the leads in that. And of course, she was in a Star Trek episode, that sort of thing. There's just something about this movie that I love, except for the music. I am over the score in that thing because it just plays over and over and over again. I just watched it this morning and I'm like, ah, stop. <laughs> but the rest of it's captivating. You know, there is uh there's very good atmosphere in that film. I just remember something about it. Not, maybe I just wasn't in the mood at the time. Mm-hmm. I have it on that shout factory four pack with yeah. lady Frankenstein mm-hmm. and uh, I got to revisit it. You know, I love the poster. Oh, the poster's fantastic. Poster. It has yeah. nothing to do with, you don't see any of that film at all. Um, no. There's, you know, and I think part of it for me is that I was born in Arizona. My grandparents lived in Arizona when I was a kid. And whenever I'd go to my grandparents' house over the summer or whatever, you know, I was in the desert. And there's just something about the desert as a setting that I feel like doesn't get used enough in a lot of horror films. I think that's one of the reasons why Tremors is so cool. Because you got that kind of isolated desertish kind of feel in that, and all the vampire takes place in a desert. You've got this vampire walking around in the blazing sun. I mean, it's it's really just got this neat mood that just brings me in. And of course, I couldn't talk about a top three 1970s vampire list without talking about one of my absolute favorite films of all time. But I I, I couldn't justify putting it in my top three. And that would be Al Adamson's Dracula versus Frankenstein. Yes. <laughs> oh, I love yes. that movie. Me too. I I watch that movie, no joke, once, maybe every three months. I love it. Oh man, it's endlessly rewatchable. It's so entertaining. Just oh man, I love that movie. <laughs> I I adore it. I the first time I saw it. I didn't know what I was going to be in for because I figured, yeah, it's probably going to be pretty bad. It's been talked down upon by so many people and Lon Chaney's supposed to be pretty washed up in it and whatever, but I put it in and I'm all in, man. I love that film. I have the soundtrack. I listen to it on a regular basis. Uh, picked it up on Blu-ray when it finally came out on blue. This movie is fun. I'm excited for that Al Adamson documentary. Oh, I'm stoked. Me too. They I'm got stoked. they found Xandor Vorkov. That's amazing. From what I understand, he doesn't like to talk about this stuff anymore. So that's great. Yeah, no, I'm I'm very excited. <laughs> it's oh man. Okay, we can't continue before I ask you, what are some of your favorite moments in Dracula versus Frankenstein? I love Forrest Ackerman getting killed. I mean that whole sequence is just fun. I mean not that I like to see Uncle Forey get killed, but you know, when he gets taken out that's good i love the end it makes absolutely it comes out of the blue just the whole thing at the end they tack on this weird ending and i just i love that uh <laughs> when i and i think i talked about this on the show uh when i was at monster bash somebody was selling a replica of the dracula ring from that film and apparently Sam Sherman saw that he was selling it at some point and gave him the license to make it the official Dracula versus Frankenstein (laughs) replica ring. I didn't pick it up because I don't know if it would have fit my finger, but man, (laughs) 
Oh, I would have picked that up in a heartbeat. Uh, what about you? What are some of your favorite moments from the film? Okay, so <laughs> I love the first 10 minutes because for the first 10 minutes, it's so jumbled and cuts back and forth between so many different things that you have no clue where it's going. <laughs> so the entire first 10 minutes from the cemetery scene to Lon Chaney lopping off that woman's head on the beach. Right. Uh-huh. I love uh, Dr. Frankenstein, J. Carol Nash's first interaction with Dracula. Some of their dialogue is so tripped out and <laughs> weird <laughs> that, uh, oh, man, it makes me smile so much. And honestly, I just... I love the entire climax. I love uh, Dracula talking about how he'll tear the monster apart limb from limb just as Dr. Frankenstein created him and, <laughs> and all he, that. And he does. <laughs> he does. Like, he's, hey, he, Dracula may not be the most trustworthy person, but if he threatens you, he will do exactly as he threatens. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days, I need to do that film proper on the show. But I, every time I bring it up, I either wear people down enough to where they actually start enjoying the movie or they're like you, where they just love it to begin with. So I don't know who I'd have on. Maybe just a massive roundtable of Dragon versus say, Frankenstein. I think what you need is like a three-hour retrospective on <laughs> Dragon versus Frankenstein. I should time it with the release of the uh, the Al Adamson documentary. You do it. <laughs> That'd be a great idea. I mean, William Lava's score in that, William Lava being a guy who used to do, he did everything from like the serials back in the 30s to, man, just the music and that is just so over the top. You got Graydon Clark and Russ Tamblin in the film. Dude, Russ Tamblin is the weirdest part of the cast to me. <laughs> he feels so out of place because he feels too high end for it. <laughs> it's Russ Tamblin. It's Russ Tamblin. You know... <laughs> I'm sure I was the only 12-year-old in my age group who said the words, oh my God, it's Russ Tamblin when I first saw that movie. <laughs> oh man, you know, you're my last recording that I'm doing today, and I have a feeling that as soon as we get done and I you know, save everything, I'm going to put this in and put it on, because now I want to watch it again so badly. So I, badly. I do <laughs> Oh man, so yeah, I gotta keep that. I gotta, I gotta give that a shout out. I, I kind of feel bad that it didn't make my top three, but you know, I just love it. Love it so well, much. you could argue that it's also not a total vampire movie. True. It's also a Frankenstein film. There so we there we go. I think I did mention it years ago when I had Frank Schildner on, and we did like our top three monster mashups. I'm, I'm sure I mentioned it then. I am so excited to read Frank's new book. Oh yeah, his Frankenstein novels are my jam. Wow. So. Yeah, that's great. Now, I, I, again, I love it when monster kids do good, you know, and he does good. He does real good. Yeah, I could probably go on and on and on. But at that point, it kind of defeats the purpose of having a top three. So I'm going to stop yeah, with true. Dracula versus Frankenstein. What are some of your honorable mentions? So one of mine was Salem's Lot. Oh, man. Why didn't you? Oh, I didn't even <laughs> think of that. Yeah, it almost it almost passed me by, too. But man, Salem's Lot is so awesome. You've got James Mason. At his absolute best, you've got one of the coolest vampires ever with uh, Reggie Nalder. Oh, man. It's just, it's the best Stephen King adaptation, I think. Really? Okay. Yeah, I love it to pieces. Yeah, James Mason is fantastic. It's yeah. my second favorite James Mason performance, actually. Wow, what's your first? Oh, Frankenstein, the true story. Oh, okay, okay, well, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So that was the first one. The second one was The Night Stalker. 
right? There's so many of them. Okay, I'm going to play this off like I meant to skip that because I'm going to talk about it in Dan December this year, but uh, really I kind of spaced on that this morning. So, um, Yeah, the nice talk is good. And then I'll just mention two more because otherwise I, I will just keep going on and on. Captain Kronos, Vampire Hunter. <laughs> Captain Cronus is great. Captain Cronus is great. I need to get the comic books. I've got them. They're, they're, they're fun. The novel that they put out a few years ago isn't so great, I think, but uh, the, the comic book was fun. I love the movie, though. I, I wish it had turned into a franchise for them. Yeah, same. I just read the uh, Hammer Mummy comic series hmm. and made me really curious about what they did with Captain Cronus. Yeah. And then my last one that I'll mention is uh, Twins of Evil. Ah, well... Yeah. Which we already covered. You can't talk about top vampire movies without talking about Hammer. And you just mentioned two, and I'm going to mention a couple here. Because, like I said, I cheated. And in my number one slot, I'm putting Dracula 80, 1972, and Satanic Rites of Dracula together. Okay. Well, that's fair, I think. I love those films. I I adore them. I'm not a big fan of how it ultimately ends. I, I think it really kind of whimpers out there at the end with Dracula getting killed in the thorns. I, I think that's kind of a, a weaker ending, but overall, I think those two movies are fantastic. It's a really interesting concept, how they defeat him. But yeah, it's pretty pretty weak. I'm not a huge fan of Satanic Rites overall, but it has my favorite Dracula plot, because I think that's Dracula at his absolute most evil, awful, horrible. Like, I just love his whole scheme to destroy all life on the planet in that movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh... Again, so listeners, I was over at Dominique's house yesterday, or the other day working on some stuff with her for something coming up on the Lovecraft Film Festival. So that's why I keep saying I was just talking about this with Dominique the other day. But I was just talking with Dominique about this the other day. I want to know the story that happens between Dracula 80, 1972 and Satanic Rites of Dracula. What happens between those two movies where Dracula's like, you know what? I'm over it. Black death for everybody. I want to know how he got to that point. <laughs> I'd like to think he was watching TV and came across the news. <laughs> I'm done. This the world's yeah. done. I'm done. <laughs> on a more on a more serious note, it, it kind of makes me think of you know that movie uh, Time After Time with David Warner and Malcolm McDowell. Yeah, there's a scene in that movie where H.G. Wells, Malcolm McDowell walks in on Jack the Ripper, David Warner watching TV, and he's watching a newsreel of war footage. And he says, the world finally caught up with me. And he sounds really solemn about it. And I thought, man, maybe that's what Dracula's deal was. Maybe he just realized he wasn't the worst thing anymore. And that was just cause to want to end everything. (laughs) You think that's bad? Well, watch what I'm about to do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Wow. And I I love that apocalyptic speech he gives at the end. Yeah. About his four horsemen. It's so good. It's the highlight of that movie for me yeah of the two films for me i I love that that bit there Uh, i love that when satanic right starts there is a a part a division of the local government that buys into all this stuff and you know you don't have to go the through the vampires can't be real kind of thing it's oh it's vampires okay now we're gonna deal with it i love that too because so many times it's Oh, vampires can't be real. You're crazy. Lock this guy up or whatever. Even in Count Yorga, when the doctor Mm -hmm. keeps calling the local law to say, what if I told you there are vampires? They laugh at him. 
I'm also just like a sucker for the idea of monster or vampire hunting organizations in general. Like right. it's a trope I really latch onto. Right. It's why I made that, that adaptation of, of chill because there is this group, this organization of people that just go out and deal with this stuff. That's why I wrote the, uh, the collection of short stories that I did. It's a guy who goes out and deals with this kind of stuff. I love yeah. that. Yeah, no. And I think it's a good way of organically including a lot of different creatures or supernatural elements in a one world. Yep. Agreed. So that's my kind of cheating number one pick. What's your number one pick? My number one pick is uh, one that I'm sure some people have heard of. I don't know how many people have seen it who would listen to the show, but it's uh, Lamora, A Child's Tale of the Supernatural. I thought about putting that in my honorable mentions. That is an amazing film. It's so beautiful to me. I can only watch it maybe a couple times a year because it doesn't have great repeat value. But every time I watch it, I just find it engrossing and weirdly soothing in like a fairy tale kind of way. I was about to say that. Yeah, there's this real fairy tale quality to it. But it's also got moments of like intensity, like when the degenerate vampires are attacking the bus. Yeah. It's terrifying. It's actually one of the scariest moments in a vampire movie, I think. Wow. Yeah. And there's something about the mood and atmosphere of that movie that's both unsettling and calming at the same time. And the actress who plays Lamora is amazing. I wish she had had a bigger career. It's just so good. It's so good. And it's a movie that it can be difficult to turn some people onto, but I try to show it to as many folks as I can. And I think it's a really good cross section between American vampire films and European vampire films of that era. Yeah, it does have that kind of going back to the fairy tale feel, that European fairy tale feel. Yeah. To it. I like that it's a period piece, but it's not set in the traditional gothic era that we normally see most period vampire pieces in. You know, it's, it's set back in the, uh, what? Prohibition. In the 50s. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's a period piece, which is nice. And the journey that she takes through the entire film, I mean, it's it's kind of unsettling there for a little while at the very beginning with the way the, the bus ticket seller is kind of offering her chocolate and all that. That's, that's kind of creepy. It is creepy, but it really establishes the theme of youth corrupted yes. really early on. And I think that's vital to the movie's story. Agreed. And I picked up on some Lovecraft kind of elements in here, too, with this town that nobody goes to, the Astaroth look versus the Innsmouth look. You know, I, I did like that as well. I kept thinking that bus driver is like a combination of Joe Sargent from The Shadow Over Innsmouth and... I don't know, every school bus driver I ever had, you know, just. <laughs> and it played by High Pike, who's one of my favorite character actors. So seeing him in it is a real treat. Oh, yeah, he was great. I didn't know what his intentions were toward Lila when she gets in the bus. There's this edge of what's he going to do to her? Is he just going to drive her there or always oh, locking her in? What's going, you know, everything's just kind of on edge just a little bit from that point on for me. Yeah, it's uh a great movie about a very innocent person trapped in a very not innocent world. Everyone around her is just awful. Yeah. Even at home, there's this edge yeah. of she's adopted, brought in by, you know, a church. And there's this edge of why is the head of the church really taking care of this 13 year old girl? Ugh. But again, like you said, mm -hmm. it, it speaks to the theme of youth corrupted. What's going on here. It's a great film. I, I should have mentioned that in my, my honorable mentions. I should have said that because it's really good. 
Yeah, now I want to watch that one. There you go. There's something about 1970s vampire films that just there's a, a, an aesthetic there that I feel like didn't necessarily carry all the way into the 80s. It's taking a lot of the, the building, uh, the, the foundations that were built in the 60s and just putting new, sometimes horribly evil twists on them. <laughs> That, that I really enjoy in some of these 70s films that I've been, ta- been talking about here on the show, not just vampire films, but just in general. I've got an upcoming episode with Steve Turek talking about the TV movie Gargoyles. There's just an aesthetic to some of these 70s monster movies that I think only exists in the 70s. And there's a, yeah, I was heard. No, go ahead. I was just going to say it's to me, at least, especially with vampire movies of that era, there's a sedate quality to them in a way. There's almost a casualness to everything. Yeah. Especially in like a couple of the movies we just mentioned, like Lamora and Nosferatu. Velvet Vampire. There's, yeah. And Velvet Vampire. There's just this very, or the work of Jean Rollin, especially, is uh, there's like this very calm, languid pace. And it's more so about allowing yourself to get lost in this kind of weird world rather than trying to shock you with it. And I respond well to that. There's just something I really dig. Yeah, I know the same. It's a, it's a oddly cozy <laughs> atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Well, we're talking about vampires. You've got vampires on the brain right now because you're making a vampire film. And I would love to give you an opportunity to talk about it here on the show. Blood rights of the vampire was, or it is because we haven't shot it yet. We're shooting it. On we began October fifteenth, so that's exciting. It's my homage to that era of filmmaking, uh, especially like I just mentioned, Jean Rollin, who did films like uh, The Nude Vampire, Shiver of the Vampire, a lot of stuff like that. But it's also an homage to German expressionism. That's very much what I'm going for uh, for the visual aesthetic. Uh, it's probably going to end up being my most experimental film to date because it's a mixture of improv and pure surrealism and some scripted segments. So it's uh, it's a bit of a departure from what I normally make, but it's also closer to the intentions that I initially had when I got into filmmaking. Really? Okay. Because I always wanted to uh, make movies that were about monsters. I wanted to make films where they were the central protagonist, where it was about them and their life and how they affect the world around them. And somewhere along the line... Uh, and this isn't like to disparage anything I've made. I've had fun with everything I've made. But uh, somewhere along the line, my monsters became props for people to interact with rather than characters, I think. Okay. I've uh, held a lot of remorse about that. And uh, this is the first step towards getting back on track for me. I think vampires of all the different monsters are probably most suited for being people or personalities versus, like you said, props. I agree. I don't know why that is. Maybe because like traditionally they're the ones who look, they look the most human. So there's that element to it. But also I think that for whatever reason, there's something that people connect with when it comes to vampirism. I mean, there's a reason that they've endeared to people for so, so long. Sure. I don't want you to spoil the movie. Obviously we want people to support you and, and be interested enough to contribute to the crowdfunding campaign but can you tell us a little bit about what you have in mind uh, just you said a little bit of yeah. improv a little bit of scripted the essential story is a young woman who recently lost her parents stumbles across this abandoned old grave and accidentally bleeds out on not bleeds out but bleeds onto the um grave which brings this vampire to life out of the earth in an 
and she ends up bringing it home and it slowly makes her life hell. That's a, that's the closest thing I can, uh, I can get into without really getting into spoilers. This vampire followed me home. Can I keep it? (laughs) Yeah, it's, um, and there's some archetypes in there too. Like we've got a vampire hunter in the film and a priest who's trying to protect her. So it was important for me to make something kind of weird and different, but also pay homage to everything I love about the subgenre. I feel like, again, to go back to the theme of this episode, the 70s was also a great time for that kind of experimental filmmaking. So that was a happy accident that we planned it that way (laughs) to hear you talk about your experimental intentions for this film. Yeah. And uh, like there's 70s and there's a bit of 20s in there, too, because I want to play with shadows a lot there. I'm not going to spoil it, but there aren't very many death scenes in it. But the one death scene in it that I'm very excited to shoot is done almost entirely with shadows. Will the film be uh, color or black and white? It's black and white with a color sequence. Nice. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Feature length, I assume, is the intention, is the plan. Probably a short feature, about like 40 to 65 minutes. Okay. And like I said, we're doing a crowdfunding campaign for it right now, or you're doing a crowdfunding campaign for it right now. Uh, Indiegogo or Kickstarter? Kickstarter, uh, which is both relieving and terrifying to me. Relieving because Indiegogo has recently started doing this thing, and this is what made Dino Gore rather frustrating to make, is they will hold on to the money for about a month and then only give it to you in increments. Really? Yeah, it's something they've started doing recently, and it's been causing a lot of trouble for filmmakers. I hadn't heard that. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. But then the scary part with Kickstarter is that if I don't make my goal, I get none of the money. Yeah, it's an all-or-nothing kind of thing. Fortunately, Kickstarter is probably the most well-known of the crowdfunding campaigns and has the most uh, mainstream penetration, so hopefully it'll get a little bit more attention. As of us recording right now, you've got 11 days to go on the campaign. This episode will be coming out while the campaign is still live. And listeners, I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes here. There is something that I just caught myself remembering that I wanted to ask you about when I pulled up Mm -hmm. the Kickstarter page. You mentioned Theta Barra. Mm-hmm. For listeners who don't know, who's Theta Barra? Theta Barra was an actress in the uh, silent era who kind of personified the Hollywood vamp of the era. Mm-hmm. It was looking at images of her that gave me the idea initially for the lead vampire character in this movie. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So I really want that 20s aesthetic for the character. Theta Barra was, uh, like you said, an actress from way back in the day. Unfortunately, not a lot of her films survived. Uh, but then that can be said of a lot of the films from the silent era. She was primarily a silent film actress, did a lot of stage work as well. A lot of times people call her like the original sex symbol when it comes to films, the original goth when it comes to films. I think probably one of the most famous images of her from film is her as Cleopatra. Uh, mm-hmm. She's gorgeous. She's got a very beautiful uh, look to her face just draws you in. I haven't seen very much with her, unfortunately. Like I said, a lot of it's not available, but that's fantastic. I mean, to hear that you're, you're honoring that as well and using that as inspiration. She wasn't necessarily a horror star, but I feel like the aesthetic that she presents did so much for the genre and what the genre would eventually become. Mm -hmm. Like I said, she was uh, Hollywood's archetypical vamp, the time so i knew that i'd have to honor her eventually when i made something right yeah i mean she was referred to as a vamp 
you know. She, yeah. But again, that wasn't a, a vampire undead thing. It was more of a... Well, a femme fatale kind of thing. Yeah, kind of like this proto-femme fatale kind of you know, dominate. It's hard to explain. <laughs> yeah. because, especially for monster kids, because as soon as we say vamp, we go, oh, Dracula, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's really cool to see you bring all these different influences and intentions into one thing. I'm excited to see your take on the vampire, especially after hearing you say that you feel like you've gotten away from monsters as characters and more just props. So I'm interested to see your take on this. Yeah, I'm very excited as well, because in a lot of ways it is an experiment for me, and I'm hoping it's a successful experiment, because if it turns out the way I see it in my head, then I really do hope it'll be the first in a new line of very different films. Do you have anything cast or anybody cast at this point? Uh, yeah, we're pretty much entirely cast. Okay, uh, okay. The, the vampire is being played by Vicky Bittis, who I worked with in Dino Gore. I'm very excited. She's got some experience with contortionism, and I'm hoping to play with that a bit in the vampire character. Uh-huh. Uh, we have Luke Bernier playing our vampire hunter. He's been in a ton of indie, no-budget horror movies. Anthony Mann is going to be playing our priest. Anthony played Dracula in Terror of Dracula, which he also wrote and directed. He played the Phantom of the Opera, which he also wrote and directed. And he is uh, the guy behind the recent reboot of The Hilarious House of Frankenstein. It's a, it's being done as an audio. Yeah, with uh, Malcolm or, McDowell. Yeah, And I'm glad you brought him up because he's an old school podcaster, too. He is, yeah. Uh, what, uh, but now I feel terrible. What was the name of the show? Was it Horror, etc.? It might have been. I'm going to be honest. I'm feeling bad now, too, because uh, I mostly just know him from his films. Right, yeah. I, I know he started with the podcasting, and he started branching out with the Dracula and everything else. Did you ever see his Dracula? You know, I, I, I'm i a bad fan. I have not. How is it? It's really good. It's um, It's a very accurate adaptation of the novel, done on a shoestring budget, which mm-hmm. is very impressive. I realized I just asked you to tell me how the, his film was after you told me he's going to be in your movie. So, of course, it's going to be <laughs> <laughs> way to put you on the spot. Yeah, it was the horror, etc. podcast that he was involved with. Uh, that, that show is no longer a thing, but, you know, he first came into my life as a podcaster. So very cool that he's still doing horror stuff and he's kind of taking it to the next level. So right on. So he's playing the priest. He's playing the priest. And uh, we have John Keach, who's usually my uh, director of photography over here. But now I have a different director of photography for this one. And so John is taking on the role of a detective. Oh, going to the other side of the camera. Yep. And his uh, the other detective in the film is played by an actor named Steve Kassan, who can be seen in a film on Netflix now called Life Changer. He was also in She Never Died, which is now doing its festival run. It's being pretty successful, I think. He's done a ton of stuff, too. Very prolific Canadian actor. He was in a film with me called uh, Creature from Cannibal Creek. So that's how I caught wind of him. Okay. Yeah. And what are some of the rewards people might be able to get their hands on if they help back the film other than knowing that they backed a film? Since it's such an, uh, like I said, some segments are scripted, some segments are not. What there is story-wise is a detailed plot treatment. So for $5, you can get that treatment can read it get an idea of uh what you've contributed to 
For $10, you can get the official soundtrack, which is going to be intense. It's going to be the weirdest, coolest sounding movie I've done so far, I think, based on the examples that Brendan, who's also producing the film, has sent me by this guy who goes by uh, Statics R Electrics, who does just insane sounding stuff. Okay. So $10 gets you the soundtrack. $15 will guarantee you a digital copy of the film when it is completed. $20 or more will get you the digital copy and the soundtrack. For $50, you'll get a special behind-the-scenes video, which will be probably prepared and released before the film is. But you'll get it first, and that's the important part. <laughs> and for only $100, you can be an executive producer on it. Excellent. And Seb's up in Canada, so this is all Canadian dollars. But, I mean, the exchange rate's not awful for us U.S. listeners either. Again, I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. And I, I recommend people get involved. Uh, Seb's? One of the good ones, you know, I, I know I keep talking about Monster Kids doing good. Don't you want to see this movie? I want to see this movie. Don't let me down. Okay. I want to see Aww. this movie. <laughs> Don't let him down, please. <laughs> right on. Well, again, link in the show notes for all that. And I'm not going to even bother asking you what's up next for you after this, because I mean, I know you're <laughs> focusing on this, but knowing you, I'm sure you've got three or four things kind of cooking already. If this one does well, then there are some crazy plans for the next one. Fantastic. Anything else you want to mention about the movie or, or 1970s vampires or anything in general before we sign off here, sir? I could talk about this all day. Well, so. I, I could too, but... <laughs> um, if I have anything else to say, it's that this movie is my love letter to not only 70s vampire films, it's my love letter to German Expressionism, it's my love letter to uh, classic genre cinema of the 20s straight on through to the 70s. It is, just like everything else I make, a representation of my love of movies. And any help I can get in showing that love will mean the world to me. There you go. Seb, thank you so much for doing the show again today. Thank you for having me on. If you think all vampires are ugly creatures of the night, then you are in for a shattering surprise. Lust for a vampire. Disciples of the Black Mass, devils in female bodies, whose embrace is the kiss of death for man or woman. Lust for a vampire. Released by American Continental Films in color. Rated R. Hark. A film of tender love and screams of vampire death. When you see the vampire lovers, you'll see beautiful love and vampire evil, and it'll drive your mind through a thousand terror-filled moments. Discover the sweet embrace and the deadly kiss of blood nymphs who refuse to die. The Vampire Lovers, in color rated R. See The Vampire Lovers. You'll meet her at night in a dark place. She's beautiful, and she'll be waiting for you, waiting to love you to death. <coughs> New World Pictures presents The Velvet Vampire. She'll love you to death. And on the same bill, this second horror shocker, Scream of the Demon Lover. Was he a man, or was he the depraved monster resurrected from a grisly death to stalk the night with a loathsome craving which only the most unspeakable horrors could satisfy? You'll find out when you hear the scream of the demon lover. It may be the last sound you hear. 
see the velvet vampire and scream of the demon lover both in shocking color rated r if you see them at night don't walk home alone vampires werewolves zombies yes these things are real but fortunately for those of us who can afford him so is mark temple and he's good real good He's a former FBI agent turned freelancer with the knowledge and skills to eliminate your monster problems. And his rates are negotiable. Monster Hunter for Hire, the first volume of the Supernatural Solutions, The Mark Temple Case Files, is now available in both ebook and paperback. Go to tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple to buy your copy of Derek M. Cook's latest book. Read about Mark Temple, the experienced professional now available to rid you of your supernatural, ghoulish, and monstrous pests. That's tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple. And don't worry, Mark Temple is discreet. Big thanks to everybody who participated in this week's episode of Monster Kid Radio. I am hoping for the best when it comes to Seb's movie. I'm going to make sure there's a link in the show notes to his Kickstarter campaign. Now, as of right now, the day that this is coming out, five days to go. He's at $740 of his goal of $1,125. I think he can do it. I think Monster Kid Radio can help him do it. I think it's going to be a fascinating film. I can't tell you how much I really want to see this thing happen. I really believe in what Seb's doing. I think he's one of the good ones. So, yeah, like I said, link in the show notes. Where can you find the show notes? Over at monsterkidradio.net, where you're going to find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio, including our contact information. You can email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com, or you can call and leave me a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. Now, I know I keep saying this. I do have some feedback that I'm sitting on that we're going to be getting into in the very near future. I was actually just speaking with my wife, Brenda, earlier tonight, or I guess it would have been yesterday at this point. Anyway, I was talking with her and yeah we definitely want to have her come on the show here very soon so that will be happening fingers and tentacles crossed sometime this month this october you know what else is happening this october the hp lovecraft film festival and cthulhu con here in portland oregon it's happening this weekend and this episode is the last episode that's going out before the festival so if you're going to be at the festival i would love to meet you i'm going to be hard to miss because well Saturday at noon, I'm doing a live recording of Monster Kid Radio with my friends Chris McMillan and Dominique Lamsey's and special guests, Victoria Price and Roger Corman. So if you're going to be in the area, please come by for the live recording or just I'd love to meet you. Like I said, I like meeting Monster Kids out in the wild and just, you know, having a good time. Plus, anytime I can work some Monster Kid material into the Lovecraft Film Festival, it makes me happy. And I think it really you know, thrills the people there, excites the people there, because every time we do something, whether it's a podcast about uh, color cosmic horror, you know, uh, or, or black and white Lovecraftian films or anything like that, there's always a good crowd and there's always people that want to come up and talk to me and the other panelists afterwards about what we were talking about. So again, if you're there, I'd love to meet you. So would Chris and Dominique, I'm sure. I'll make sure there's a link to the Lovecraft Film Festival in the show notes as well. Now, Here's the thing. It is currently sold out. So, uh, 
Yeah. That said, I might know a guy who's got weekend tickets he's trying to unload. Just saying. Anyway. What else is coming up here in the near future on Monster Kid Radio? Well, there will be a YouTube video going out later today announcing the rest of this month's scheduled content on Monster Kid Radio, so stay tuned for that. And in last week's episode, I kind of rattled on and on and on about all the amazing movies the Hollywood Theater is showing and the Academy Theater here in Portland. You know what? If you're in the Pacific Northwest you need to be reading The Shadow Over Portland. That is Chris's website. That's the shadowoverportland.blogspot.com. There is a link in the permanent links section of our website. He announces everything that's going on in the Pacific Northwest, from Washington to Oregon to even up into Canada. Pay attention to that if you want to know where you might run into me in the Portland, Oregon area. I know I'll be going back to the Hollywood Theater at least one or two more times after Lovecraft because, well, they're just showing some amazing films, including... Seven Brothers Meet Dracula, which is something that we didn't bring up in the conversation with Seb. I can't believe I didn't mention that as an honorable mention. I love that freaking movie that's happening on Tuesday the 8th. I think that's too close to the end of the Lovecraft Film Festival for me. I will not have totally recovered by then because, uh, yeah, Mm -hmm. I'll need some sleep. I'm getting old, man. I need my sleep. So, uh, yeah, that's probably not going to happen for me. But if it's happening for you, call in. Let me know how it went. The other big thing happening here on Monster Kid Radio is on Halloween Day. We are once again going to do a Halloween day-long virtual crash, but I'm not calling it a virtual crash anymore. No, I'm calling it the incredibly easy to roll off the tongue Monster Kid Radio <laughs> Monster Kid Radio Halloween Monster Movie Marathon Watch Along on Twitch. Yeah, it's much easier to say, right? Here's what you need to do: head over to Twitch and set up an account. It's real easy. Twitch.tv, set up an account, and look for me. Monster Kid Radio, all one word, all lowercase. I don't know if the lowercase matters or not, but look for me there and send me a friend request or whatever it is that Twitch does because on Halloween Day, starting early in the morning Pacific time, so I'm thinking 8-ish, 9-ish, I'm going to start running movies, and we're going to do movies all bloody day into the night. I cannot wait. And, uh, yeah. We're going to be showing House of the Gorgon from Joshua Kennedy and Queen of Snakes from Christopher R. Mim. A couple of movies from a couple of my fellow Monster Conservancy members. We're going to be showing those during the Monster Kid Radio Halloween Monster Movie Marathon Watch Along on Twitch on Halloween Day. It's going to be awesome. So, yeah, you want to make sure you're in for that. Now, the schedule will be released later this month. Stay tuned to MonsterKidRadio.net or the podcast for further information. You can follow along with everything that I've got going on myself over on Facebook. There's a Monster Kid Radio page and a Monster Kid Radio group and my own personal account. Plus, Monster Kid Radio is on Twitter. And I even reactivated the Monster Kid Radio Instagram page earlier this week. Not that it was gone. I just finally posted something after many, many, many months. So, yeah, you can find me pretty easily all over the Internet. You know where else you can find me in seven days? Right back here for the next episode of Monster Kid Radio. Between now and then, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Professor Frenzy's Bedtime Story is copyright Jerry Green, 2019, and the song Surf Noir is copyright 
the West Samoa Surfer League Band. They are a really cool surf band based out of Germany. And you can find them on Facebook. Just look up West Samoa Surfer League or find them on Bandcamp by looking up Surf Cookie Records Bandcamp page. It's surfcookierecords.bandcamp.com. Look for the West Samoa Surfer League and the Surf Noir EP. Four really cool tracks for four euros. Can't go wrong with that. Let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. My name is Derek M. Cook. Talk to everybody next week. Ciao. (laughs) 